morning, if you have your Bible, uh, our sermon text, our sermon passage this morning is um, Genesis chapter 3, one verse, verse 15. And, and I want to echo something that Jamie just prayed. I, I pray that this year is a year of revival. Amen. A, a year where God gets a hold of our hearts. Revival is not for the lost. Revival is for whom? The saved. When, when, when the lost are come to, to faith, that's called an awakening. And what we pray for is that God would bring a revival to his church so that his church would take the gospel to the community so there would be an a what? Awakening. And this morning, I believe that, that this passage is one of those things that will, will help us begin this next year uh, on a journey um, as we really begin to think about family next year. If we have a theme next year, I think as a church as a whole, we're still going to get in Corinthians and those things. But but next year, uh, as Tony and I have been talking, he, he's, his, his belief and his, his thinking is this, is that we as the family of God, as Wide Oak, both campuses, each campus um, becoming more and more of a family so that we may do what God has called us to do. Because the reality is people are looking for what? For family, right? They're looking for places where they can connect. And it's not always the big shiny place where people connect. It's They connect where people are real. And I think that's what God is doing with us is, is we are real people. And I appreciate what, what uh, Penny also said this morning that, that, um, that God loves us even in our mistakes, right? I mean, even when, when we put a wrong song on the screen or when we sing something out of key or when we say something stupid, right? God still loves us. When we mispronounce somebody's name, right? Which I do often. God loves us. This week, as we began to, uh, as I just kind of went through this week, as I studied this passage, as I just kind of watched our culture, this week, th- this passage for me w- was so absolutely real. As this was a week of, of history, correct, in American um, politics. W- whether you're, you're on the left or the right, whether you're for impeachment or against impeachment, it was a historical week. But it was also a week, as I watched, whether you were, whether somebody was for or against impeachment, what I watched is the, the, the just absolute disregard to talk to each other. An absolute hatred for, for people who disagreed with each other. Even Christians, the way they responded on uh, publicly through social media and other things was absolutely horrendous this week. Matter of fact, I don't think we could say at all we saw the best of humanity this week. We actually saw, I think, some of the worst of humanity this week. Because the call of a Christian is this. No no matter how we disagree with somebody, we treat them with what? Christ's kindness, right? Christ's love. And as a Christian, no matter where we're at politically, we, we should be for the gospel and for holiness and and morality right but what i saw this week is none of that no christian kindness no no 
no marching towards, well, here's what we need. Here's morality, how we speak out. It was everybody is fake. Everybody is, is wrong. That was the attitude. Where did that come from? That comes from very early in the history of the world. Leading up to our passage this morning in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we find the, the account, the story, the, the truth of the fall of humanity. Adam and Eve in the garden, in, in a place of, of no sin, a place where it is beautiful, a place where trees are blooming all year round, where the temperature is just right all the time. How many would like a place like that? How many in this building has been hot this morning? How many has been cold this morning? Anybody been just right? Has everybody been just right at the same time? N no. If it's 75 degrees, for some it's too hot. For others it's too cold. We live in a, a society, in a, in a world that's unlike what Adam and Eve saw early on. Adam and Eve, God created them in, in the garden. It's a beautiful place with no sin. And the serpent, the enemy, saw, saw that God, what God had created, saw the, the beauty of creation, and said, you know what? I want to be God of that. I want to be greater than the God who created that. And in that, he, he fails. We call him Lucifer. We call him Satan. He, he fell. And God allows him to come and to roam this place we call earth. And we find in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, that, that the serpent, who was more crafty than any animal, began to tempt Eve. With Adam standing there. And they have that conversation about a piece of fruit from a tree. Whether it was an apple or an orange or a kiwi, we don't know. But they have a discussion about a piece of fruit, do they not? And the enemy says that God doesn't say certain things. And that if you do this, you'll be able to be like God. And we, we all blame Eve, right, and Adam for saying, you know what, you had it perfect. How did you want to be like God? But if in all reality, if you and I are there in that first advent of sin, even when sin's approached to us now, and somebody says, you can be the God of your life, what do we do? We take advantage, do we not? We want the same thing. We, we, we say, yes, I want to be God of my life. I want to determine what I do and how I do it. And so we're just like Adam and Eve. And Eve takes of the fruit. She eats of it. And she turns and she gives it to, to her husband, Adam. And he eats of it, and then all of a sudden, something happens. They, they recognize their nakedness, they recognize 
sin. And they begin to blame each other. Well, Adam says it was so-and-so's fault. It was Eve. It was the woman you gave me. It's interesting phrasing, isn't it? God, it is the woman you gave me. It's her fault. Initially, it's like, oh, so he's blaming Eve. But he's really not blaming Eve, is he? Who is he blaming there? He's blaming God because, God, you gave me her. If you wouldn't have given me her, I wouldn't have made this mistake. Because of that, we we work to the toil of the ground. We we now have thorns and we have gnats and we have spiders and we have bees and we have all kinds of things. Well, they, they impact us because of the fall. Before then, the gnats wouldn't have been the same as they are today. They wouldn't have buzzed around you to annoy you. Wouldn't that have been nice to walk in a garden where there were gnats and bees and bugs and they didn't bother you? It would have been nice, would it not? Because a bee does offer some beauty to it, does it not? The, the way it's striped, the way it's colored. It produces honey, right? We love honey. That They have those things. But they, it, it didn't. Then Eve turns and says, it's the serpent's fault. God comes to our to our passage this morning and he speaks to the serpent. If you have your Bible, look at let your eyes fall to one verse, Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. Here's what God says to the serpent. I will put hostility your your your, your Bible may say intimacy or conflict, but I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. What in the world is God saying here? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're going to actually ask five questions of the text this morning. That's how we're going to unpack it. We're going to ask five questions of, of what is God saying? What, what is God saying to the serpent, to to Satan here. What is he saying in this moment? What is he saying about the fall? What is he saying about humanity? What is he saying here that makes this about Christmas and beyond? It says a lot. For in the theological world, this is known as the proto-euangelion. Can you say that with me? Proto-euangelion. Does anybody know what that means? Proto is the word first. The word euangelion is the word good news. It, it is the first good news. This is the first gospel mentioned. All the way in Genesis chapter 3, moments after the fall, when Satan thought, I have won, God says, eh, time out. You haven't won matter of fact, I have known what was going to happen before the foundation of the world. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, go to read in Ephesians chapter 1, verse, starting in verse 1, Paul, in that great letter, talks about that before the foundation of the world, God preordained Christ to come to be our Redeemer. And in that, we have adoption in Him. 
the first gospel here was was known to humanity but before the foundation of the world before any of this exists when it was just father son and the spirit the proto euangelion was on their heart because just as we sang a while ago what 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 god has given up his son for us what lord has become basically homeless what king is says i'm going to give up my kingship for the people there's only one god and so in our text this morning here is the questions what's going on why is this about christmas why is this about much more than christmas the first question i want us to ask of the text this morning of scripture is this why is the hostility and conflict between the serpent, Satan, and the woman, not the man? Because in here we see this. We see, I will put hostility between you and the woman. Why is there hostility between the woman and the serpent and not man? The answer is pretty complex but simple at the same time. When you go back just a few verses earlier, you begin to find something. When, when Eve took of the fruit, did, did she realize her sinfulness? She didn't, did she? There wasn't an understanding of, oh, Adam, you're, you're naked. She didn't realize that, did she? But the moment that Adam took of the fruit and ate of it, he, he realized something and she realized something. And what was that? They, they were naked. Why was that the case? Because Adam was the one who was given the commandment, do not eat of this fruit from this tree. It was Adam who was responsible in the garden to, to shepherd the garden, to shepherd his wife, to shepherd his family, to protect them. To shepherd is to protect. And Adam didn't do that even standing there. He just kind of stood there and watched. And because of that, we know as we begin to read Scripture, we get to the book of Romans and other places that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Why have we sinned? Because in Romans chapter 5, Paul says that the sin of Adam, it is the seed of Adam, it is the cause of man that sin enters into humanity. So you would think that, so the issue then is, is this. What's going on with a woman? Well, see, Satan actually has man now. There is no hostility between man and Satan because we're both fallen. In all reality, those of us, when, all of us, when we are lost, we do not have hostility with the enemy, with Satan. Why? Because we are with him in our fallenness. But there is now hostility between the woman and Satan, because God knew who was coming from the woman. See, Jesus, you, we fast forward to the first Christmas, and Jesus is not the son of Joseph, is he? He is, he is in the womb because of whom? God, through the Holy Spirit. As we read a while ago in Luke chapter 1, in the, the praise of Mary, the Holy Spirit come upon Mary and caused her to conceive, be with child. And so she is of the woman. She is human, or he is human, 
but he is conceived because of the Holy Spirit. And the conflict now will come between her and, and Satan because ultimately redemption now comes through her, not Adam. So as you begin to look at the passage, you begin to ask the question, so, so did Satan know this early on? I don't think so. I don't think Satan knew what was going on here. Satan is not omnipresent, is he? Omniscient. He is not all-knowing, all-powerful. He can't be everywhere, can he? He only knows what he sees and what he's given ability to see. So at this point, he's like, who is this? God knows. Eve doesn't. She just she knows it's going to be a son. But he says, I will put hostility between you and the woman. Who is this? And the next question we want to ask is this. We understand now why it's the woman, because sin comes through through man. So so every man in the building, if you have a child, guess what? Your, your kid's sin comes from because of you. So I can't blame Katie on Jet and Sadie's sin. I have to blame myself. So, so who is the woman? Because look at their, look, look at your, let your eyes fall again to the first part of the text. He says, I will put hostility between you and the woman. Who is the woman that the serpent is going to have conflict with? The reality is, is this, this is not Eve, but it is singular in its nature, both in, its, in the Hebrew and in the English. The woman, that's one person, right? It's not women, right? It's not, he doesn't say, I'm going to put hostility between you and every woman that's ever born. He doesn't say that, does he? He doesn't say hostility is going to be between you and all women. He doesn't say that, does he? He says the woman. The means something, right? It, it, it means one particular thing. It, it points to something direct. It's this woman brings us to this season. This woman is Mary. The woman. The one who would carry the Christ, the Messiah, the Redeemer. That Satan and her were going to have conflict, hostility. We fast forward thousands of years from this point to the point of the proclamation of Mary's birth. Does Mary have conflict with people, with the world? Yes, because why? She is of child without a husband. Even Joseph has conflict with her, does he not? Because Joseph finds out that she is pregnant with child, and what is his initial thought process? I'm going to do what? I'm going to divorce her. I'm going to get rid of her quietly. And Scripture says he's, he wants to do that because he's, he's a righteous man, and he doesn't want to he doesn't want to harm Mary. He could, under the law, he could have had her put to death. But there is hostility between now Joseph and Mary. And Mary probably told him the story and said, I, I have a kid, and, and Joseph is like, um, that's impossible. Who you been with? Nobody. The Holy Spirit of God come to me. I mean, God's not spoken for 400 years. Why would God come to you? So Joseph goes to sleep with the full intentions of doing what? Getting rid of 
man. But God, through the Holy Spirit, through, through the angels, speaks to Joseph. He says, Joseph, that is the child of the Most High. Take Mary as your wife. Care for her. And because of that, Joseph does what he's supposed to do. After this, we really don't know much about Joseph, do we? Other than, than he did father some other children with Mary. But there is now hostility between Mary and others. There's hostility between Mary and Herod, is there not? Is there not hostility between Mary and Herod? Herod wants what killed? He wants Jesus killed, doesn't he? He wants the one of this woman dead. Why? Because he wanted, he, he didn't want the Messiah, the king, to come and take his place. He was happy being the puppet king of the Roman Empire, the one, the Jewish king that Rome had put in, in charge. He was good with that. He was glad to live in his palace, to have the all the stuff. And so there would be hostility between him and Mary and between this child. Hostility exists between this woman today and Satan. We deny what? One of the first thing we got to do is we begin to deny the gospel. We deny the virgin birth, right? We begin to deny who Mary was. Even I would even argue that we have hostility between the enemy and Mary in that through the Catholic Church, Mary is lifted higher than she should be. There's hostility because what we do is we put Mary in a place where God didn't want Mary. But so Satan wants to, what does he want to do? He wants to trick humanity. Mary is like every young woman. She's a sinner who was saved because of her son. Not, not because he was born inside of her, but because he died for her and she said yes to her son. And so there's hostility between that woman, Mary, and the enemy. Who are the offsprings? I think I've already given you the clue to that. The offsprings clearly here are ser the serpent, Satan, and Jesus Christ. Let your eyes again fall down to verse 15. I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. Her offspring is Christ Jesus, the offspring of Satan is the Antichrist, the one coming. The one who comes is coming to, to the end. There's going to be hostility there. That Christ is going to come and, and there's going to be an issue. There's going to be a great war called what? Armageddon. In the end where, where Satan fights his last battle, right? And where Christ will come and will finally destroy Satan. So there's going to be hostility between the offspring of Mary, Christ Jesus, and the offspring, the Antichrist, who is filled with, um, with the Satan serpent. Uh, and, and there's going to be hostility there, and they're going to fight, and they're going to battle. Why? Because since the very beginning, since the, the advent of sin, since the advent of the fall, there is an issue of sin. Romans chapter 5, Paul writes 
that all are born in the sin of Adam. And it is because of Christ Jesus now, if you're in Christ Jesus, you are redeemed. It is the offspring that matter. Which leads us to the last two questions. What is this last part of this text talking about? He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. What is the striking of the head and the heel? And the last question I'm going to ask is, when does this happen? What is this and when does this happen? It says, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. The he striking the head is Jesus, striking the head of the serpent. And the serpent, the one who strikes the heel is, is the serpent. He will strike the heel of Jesus. Now, if you're struck on the heel by a snake, you're not going to immediately die, probably. And those chance, you know, unless it's an extremely de- deadly snake that we know of today, you're going to survive, right? Because the heel is, is tough, right? But if you put your heel onto something and crush the head, it what? It dies, right? If you step your foot on the head of a black snake, it may bite you, right? But you're, you're the weight of you crushing it with your heel will do what? Kill it. Satan strikes, the in, strikes his enemy, that is Jesus, in that he thinks that he kills Jesus on the cross. He strikes him. Death seems to be apparent. That, that final blow from the enemy. He's got humanity, now he's got Jesus. But the reality is, as Jesus, when he said it is finished on the cross, said the work of redemption of Christ, paying the penalty for humanity is done. And then as he rose from the grave, what he said is this, I am now coming to strike your head. You struck my heel, you think you got me. It was only temporary. There was only temporary pain in the heel. There is only temporary death. But what's coming is the crushing of your head. So when does this happen? This happens in the future. This is when Satan is ultimately destroyed and is thrown into the lake of fire for eternity. His head is completely crushed and he can no longer bother humanity. You say, why was this not the cross? Is Satan still having effect today? Scripture says he's like a roaring lion, right? He's he's like a thief in the night. He's still roaming the earth. He still bothers Christians, does he not? He still tries to influence us. He, He works within it. So he's not fully dead, right? But this moment right here in in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, this is the end. This will happen. The good news is this. This is coming. And so the question is, is how, what, why is this about Christmas? It's about Christmas because when sin entered humanity, through Genesis chapter 3, God could have said, you know what, I told you not to do that. And because of that, you will now be 
eternally separated from me forever, and I'm going to leave you there. And it would have been right and good for him to do that. Would it not have been? It would have. Whether we like that or not, whether we think that, that we deserve an opportunity for salvation, the reality is we, we don't. But God, in his goodness and grace, said, you know what? I'm going to show you something. I'm going to reveal to you something great. One of the things, as I, I grow older, I begin to realize that the greatest sacrifices made for me often come with a greater price than I could ever imagine. You, you know, think about it. I can, we can sacrifice things for people. But it's not until we sacrifice the ultimate thing, which is our life, do we understand the fullness of the price. I think we take advantage of that. Or, or do we gather here freely for worship? Why do we gather freely for worship? Because there have been men and women who have paid what? The ultimate price so that you and I can gather together. But we are able to drive the streets and try to be as safe as possible. Why? Because there are police officers that patrol the streets so that we may be safe, right? But some of those officers have paid what? The ultimate price. If your, your house or my house catches on fire, and, and we, there's somebody left in the house. There are firefighters who what? Who go in for the rescue. Who some have paid what? The ultimate price. And it's not until we get to those things that we begin to realize how valuable something really is. I, I can give you something. I could, could empty my bank account and give it to you. But it wouldn't be the ultimate price of something, would it? Because next week, uh, I will get another paycheck, so there will be money, more money in my bank account, right? But, but if I give you something and, and I pay the ultimate price, I give, give it to you and my life stops, then the weight of what you got is much more thankful, is it not? Adam and Eve could have been very pleased in the garden without being sinners could have lived and would have had children and 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 who knows of us who would have been here we don't know how how long God would have allowed population to happen but it would have happened and they could have been happy in the garden without sin that sounds good does it not how many of you would like to be a place without sin be nice wouldn't it but there is a difference between being created sinless and being created perfect, is there not? Because sinless means that I can do what? I can still sin. How many of you like freedom? The freedom to be able to think on your own. Anybody, does everybody like that? We like that, do we not? How many of you would like to be robots that, that, uh, that are programmed by a programmer and you do exactly what you're told? Anybody? 
So God creates us with a freedom in a sinless nature in the garden when we mess it up. You say, well, God didn't have to put the tree there. You're absolutely right. But I'm, I want to make the concluding argument this, that the garden, that God put the tree of good, the knowledge of good and evil there so that another tree would set on another place thousands of years later so we would understand the great sacrifice that God has for us. Adam and Eve would have never known what you and I know had they not sinned. And that is the price that God was willing to pay for humanity. Not only that, but, but it says that God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden, right? God walked with them, right? God walked right beside them. Like if I'm here with Jennifer and she and I are just going to kind of walk. We, we've been places. We've been to Jamaica together. We've been to Canada together. We, we just kind of walk and talk in places, do we not? But there's a difference between walking and talking beside her and the Holy Spirit living inside of us, is it not? See, they didn't have the Spirit within them. We have now the Spirit within us which I would say in that we have, a, we have something greater than they ever happened. As beautiful as it is to walk, would have been to walk in a garden with no sins, not the worry of a gnat or a bee to sting me. It's greater to be able to walk in the woods today somewhere where there are gnats and bees and, and, and skunks and all that other stuff, but have the Spirit within you. You actually have to, an opportunity to have a closer and deeper walk with God now than they did. Why? Because the Spirit lives within you, and you're able to have that because Christ gave his life for you. He gave the ultimate sacrifice. And so when, again, when you begin to look at Genesis chapter 3, it's not like God said, you know what? I'm going to create a sinless person. I can't create a perfect humanity. It wasn't that at all. God could have created a perfect humanity but we've been robots walking around doing as God wanted us to do without the ability to have freedom. But God says, you know what? I, I'm going to give them freedom knowing that when they mess up, because I am holy, I cannot tolerate sin. I'm going to have to do something about it. And with that, he's he said, I'm going to give myself for them. That's what makes Christmas great. That's why when we begin to think about this passage of Scripture, for me, it's not a passage of, of oh, man, that, that's a real downer. I, we could have had all of this without, without, without sin. Man, that would have been great to have all this without sin. The reality is, is going back to my opening illustration, as nasty and ugly of a week as it was, where Christians didn't act like Christians, where unbelievers acted more wicked than they normally do, it's a week where the gospel of Jesus Christ shined. In the midst of all of stuff this week here's what I saw I saw 
I saw people in Christ rise up, rise above the fray, above political agendas, and began to see, you know what, the reality is all are in sin. And what, what, what we got to realize is that the gospel redeems all things. The gospel redeems things that we, we, we think are unredeemable. And, and, and God is, is about working through the church. Because the reality is, as I, saw, as I saw one pastor put, we are not dependent upon a president to determine where we go from here. We are dependent upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, who cannot be impeached to drive us forward. Another, another pastor, another author made this statement this week. He said this. He said, he said, because God cannot be impeached and my kingdom is not of this planet, why am I distressed about something that ultimately does not control my destiny? One other said this this week. If God, according to Romans 13, if God appoints kings and and lords and people then God can also take them off the throne and it is God's righteousness that takes care of these things and it just reminded me this week that we live in a fallen world but we have a savior who will crush the head of the man and as the enemy strikes we don't have to remind him of his future. We can remind him of his past. Because he knows he was created just as you and I were. And because of that, he has fallen and separated us. So this morning, what will you give thanks for this Christmas season? Will you give thanks for the woman named Mary whom God used? Will you give thanks this Christmas season uh, for God for allowing um, a serpent in a garden so that, so that there will be a, a Savior on a cross thousands of years later? Will you give thanks for, for a sacrifice of a, of a, of a grave but knowing that the, that grave cannot hold you and I? Will you give thanks this Christmas season knowing that you have life and you want others to have life with you? As we celebrate Christmas, as each of these candles burn, you and I have the hope, the joy, the peace, and the love because of this candle. take this candle out of the center of, of that circle none of these are, are even possible but because of this candle all of them burn in a bright even in the depths of a dark the first gospel, the first Christmas, the proto-euangelion, 
beautiful place to begin. So, Father, as we come to our time of, of invitation this morning, God, as, as you are, are guiding us, I pray that you would draw men and women um, unto yourself this morning. God, that you would draw people here that, um, to, to, to plug in, to be a part of our, our church. Father, maybe you're, you're calling somebody to Christ, whatever it may be, that this Christmas season we'll be able to look at um, these candles and look at, uh, but more than that, we'll be able to look at the gospel and look and know that, that, that the woman, Mary, gave birth so that, so that that son, Jesus Christ, you, Lord Jesus, would, would pay the ultimate penalty so that we may have life and have it everlasting. So, Father, be with us. Call us uh, unto yourself, God, bring revival. Maybe right now, maybe, maybe right now there are men and women in this room who are away from you who need to be drawn back to you. May you do that, Holy Spirit. Be with us, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. God is God is calling us.
come forward for the time of offering yet one of the pj day at Chris for christmas so we got christmas pjs on but uh, i'll say this as we come as we get ready to pray for offering um i am i'm firmly convinced of this and that doesn't mean everything's been perfect it doesn't mean that all is well but i believe with all of my heart that the day that the power went out here back year and a half ago, whenever it was, God's Holy Spirit set himself on us and hasn't left. And he is doing a work. And I believe, and I, I don't, I'm not saying this because I'm one of the pastors, I'm, I'm the campus pastor here, I'm, I'm saying this because I believe this. God is not done here, that greater days are ahead. I believe that. So let's um, let's close out our, our time together with offering. Jeff, will you close us in our, um, our offertory prayer?
just a quick announcement again new year or christmas eve at five o'clock new year's eve um starts at eight is that right the the new year's eve night watch whatever it's called eight o'clock right um also this morning um Sheila is over at the other campus. They had some kind of pictures. If you want to go over and have pictures made over there, they have a setup. You're more than welcome. She would, um, and so that's over at the Memorial Drive campus. And so this morning, um, you know what I love about this place? It's not about how formal we are. It's about the heart that exists. And I am convinced that that uh, we're doing what God wants us to do and so um, let's pray and head to small groups it's good to see Jennifer Jennifer would you would you close us in prayer as we head to small you don't have to you can say no all right now you don't have to be loud you're good